Would you please pray with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, we would thank you for this opportunity to be able to open your word, knowing that it is, in fact, our word. Your word to us, one Lord that we can take to heart. And it is in the most obvious and the most blatant way, the way in which you speak to us. It is ours, and Lord, as it is ours, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to press it to our hearts, that we might might learn the lessons, and then, Lord, in this, find the confidence to be able to live lives together with you, according to you, according to you and your purposes, and, Lord, according to the abundance of your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by asking for a little bit of advice. I, I got an email this morning early uh, from a Nigerian prince, and it, 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 it really it was, it was an urgent thing. He's got a million dollars, and he wants to give it to me for free. And all I have to do is give him my bank account number, my social insurance number, and a few other minor details, my mother's maiden name, um, my birthday, but, but, but that's all okay. And, and he will transfer the money. He said, it's all free, a million dollars. Um, what should I do? What, I, I really need some advice. I have a financial counsel over here, Bill. Uh, I, I, should I close out my RRSP? Uh, is it possible? Because really, this is, offer is only good for the next 24 hours. The clock is ticking. How, how should I, what should I do with this? <laughs> Should I answer it? Should I say yes? I'll I'll do. I want it. Of course not. Of course not. And the answer is really quite as simple as as the principle most of us have come to adopt. And the principle is this: If it looks too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Offers like this used to come through the mail or by phone. But with the internet, they're exploding with scams that know no national boundaries or, or borders. And, and the new scams are being spun out each and every day. And the result? Well, uh, let's face it. <clears throat> Over time, even the best of us get to be a little jaded. And as a result, well, let's face it. Over, if, if we look at everything and assume that if it's too good, well, it probably is. It develops within us a streak of realism where we hide ourselves and we protect ourselves from disappointment. And and maybe that's why Jesus, the one who knows our human heart so well, even better than than we do, uh, would follow up his teaching on prayer, the teaching that we began with as we jumped into the Gospel of Luke at chapter 11 with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe this is one of the reasons why Jesus would follow up on his teaching with prayer with a passage that we find this morning. I want you to turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 11. Uh, the, the disciples had finally gotten up the gumption to ask Jesus to teach them to prayer, pray. And it was obvious to them that his life of prayer really had something to do with his success. And they wanted in on the action. And so Jesus was more than happy to oblige them. And he told them, he said, when you pray, begin by saying, Father. And from that point, the prayer unfolded into a powerful outline of holiness and courage, conscience and character. But from the very beginning of that prayer, with the word Father, he he did more than just let us in on a secret. He made us 
part of a relationship that he shared with God the Father. And he put us in the very same position of favor with God that he himself enjoyed as the Son of God. Now that's pretty powerful stuff. A privilege like that can really take your breath away. It's it's a royal privilege, an access to to the throne of heaven, to the God of the universe. And it may seem fine for someone like Jesus, but for someone like me, who am I to call him Father? It simply sounds too good to be true, does it not? But the fact remains, when we are ushered into the presence of God, we come to a place of utter holiness and awe. Rudolf Otto called it the mysterium tremendum, the place where we tremble before the mystery of majesty. It's a place where the prophet, as great as Isaiah, could only cry out of himself, I am undone, as if he was disintegrating under the sheer weight of holiness. And I imagine that these first disciples possessed that attitude of utter respect for God, such holy fear of his presence, that these instructions from Jesus would be met by what I have in your sermon outline as a, as a natural reluctance. Is it really that simple, Heavenly Father? We know it to be too good to be true, and it might even be deadly as Isaiah found it to be such. Are we to be undone? There is that natural reluctance, and for that reason, Jesus presents a story. Now, he's already taught them how to pray. He's already taught us how to pray in the first uh, five verses, of first four verses, I mean. Now he's seeking to get help to us so that we can pray. And so he does it with stories. Look at the first story in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, my children are with me in bed, I can't get up and give you any. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend, and yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. (coughs) Now you have to understand, this story is drawn out of the everyday life in the first place century, which may be a little unfamiliar to us. However, in that moment of time, it was not unusual to have guests from out of town show up in the night. In fact, people often chose to travel at night in order to avoid the heat of the day in this desert region. And hospitality often required on that, uh, on that arrival that needs be met, that personal needs would be met, that food and drink would be provided for the dry and dusty traveler, whatever. And even more than that, hospitality was required not by a single friend, but by a community. We get that idea whenever we say to our, uh, any friend of yours is a friend of mine, that idea of a communal friendship that occurs. 
In other words, put that together, all of the pieces were in place for the first part of the story. A personal friend had arrived from a journey, hungry, it is late, and I suppose there would be a natural reluctance to bother anyone with a personal concern. So you can imagine the inner debate that the host has. He says, goodness, I... I don't have anything here for my friend. I, I, I'd hate to wake up my neighbor. I, I know I could if I wanted to, but it's late. I'll, I'll just go knock. And, and so he goes and he knocks. And he hears a sleepy voice call out, Who is it? And, <coughs> it's me, your neighbor. Well, what is it? Uh, can I borrow some bread? I've got company. Are you nuts? <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, I'm... I'm closed for the night. I'm off the clock in bed surrounded by my children. No. Oh, just another cultural note. <laughs> in the small Palestinian homes of the day, entirely, entire families would, in fact, sleep together on a, a common mat, which, which, which would serve as a bed. And for the man to rise and respond to his neighbor... Uh, it, it meant that he, he would have to uh, get up and, and disturb the whole family, stepping on feet, legs, arms, and shake them all up. And so he doesn't want them to be disturbed as much as he doesn't want to be disturbed. And so he says, no, go away. <clears throat> so now <clears throat> you have a need. What do you do? Would you apologize? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. Don't know what I was thinking. It'll never happen again, and then slink off into the night? Listen, uh, some of you might find yourself, if you take this metaphor to prayer, like that with God right now. You may have become just bold enough to knock on his door. And, 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 and in the back of your mind, you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't want to bother him. After all, who am I? I mean, I'm a nobody. What right do I have? I mean, I'm a sinner, and I, and I don't go to church that often. I, I missed last week. I haven't tithed like I know I probably should, so who am I? Who am I? And, and, and yet, I need to pray, and so I pray, and I pray a whispered prayer, and I, with that prayer, knock once on heaven's door. But my feet are already turned, and I'm, I'm already ready to slink off into the night. And if at first there's silence... Well, then I'm going to shrug my shoulders and I'm going to give up. I don't want to wake him up. <laughs> Not so with our friend here in Luke, in Luke 11. Look at it again. He's already knocked. He's woken his neighbor. He's gotten his neighbor's attention. And he keeps on knocking. Almost as if in turning away, he stops and thinks, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got a right to be here. We are a community. How many times has my friend said, if you ever need anything, anytime, just give me a call? He said that to me. Ha! Well, I'm going to make the call. Three loaves, that's all I need. So come on, wake up. Look at verse 8. And the principle comes out bold and clear. Because of the man's boldness, the friend will get up and give him all he needs. Boldness, I love that phrase. Put it right next to the word prayer. Now, some of you may have it translated as persistence. The literal Greek word here really can be translated as shamelessness. 
being without shame. Now, that's not a permission to be rude, but it is a determination to exercise your rights. Boldness, persistence, shamelessness. I don't care how it looks, I will do it simply because I can. I am allowed. I have the right. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he began with the word Father, and with that word, he gave us a bold relationship and a complete right to make a shameless request of him. You see, it's a supernatural relationship and a supernatural right. If there was a problem in this story with a friend who gets tired and has to get some sleep, it's that the connection misses the fact that with God, (coughs) we have one who, as the scriptures say, never slumbers and never sleeps, but however is surrounded by a household of heaven with angels prepared to respond to need. And we have a Father with whom prayer is never an inconvenience and with whom prayer is always welcome. (coughs) And so Jesus comes out of the story with words that will be familiar to many of you. Put them in context with the story that has just been told. And so I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. And he who finds, uh, seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Now I'm sure you have probably familiar, you're probably familiar with a particular phrase which goes, patience is a virtue. Well, let me change that for you this morning. Patience might imply in your own mind uh, a, a sense of passivity, inertia. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here. It's patience with action, which, if I can play with the words, would probably be best put, persistence is a virtue when it comes to prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Each one of those verbs, they they don't stand alone, speaking about different categories of prayer. In fact, they are connected in forms of commands that build upon one another. In Greek grammar, they possess continual action and could probably be better translated as saying, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. In fact, wrap them together. Ask and keep on asking until it becomes a matter of a search. And seek and keep on seeking until it becomes an arrival. And knock and keep on knocking until the door opens. From a human perspective, that is passion. And I'm sure... You've all come to a point, whenever you've seen an event in sports, how passion can be built on an artificial means. I'm sure you've probably turned on some sort of, uh, oh, I don't know, boxing match, basketball match, where an announcer will say, are you ready? And the crowd will cheer. 
Are you ready? And the crowd will cheer a little bit louder. And then, of course, we'll, are you ready? And then the crowd is roaring. And then he says, when it finally gets to the right volume level, then let's get ready to rumble. That's the process that comes at the end of asking and seeking and knocking. And the place goes wild. So are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Then let's get ready to rumble. That is the attitude to be carried into prayer. The attitude to carry you into prayer. You see, when you ask, you are simply stating your conscience need, and that is fine. I need, therefore I ask. Boy, that changes the whole philosophical term, isn't it? I think, therefore I am. Well, I need, therefore I ask. But when you seek, you go beyond those words of just identifying your need and you're putting them into action because you're applying effort. And when you knock and keep on knocking, you will settle for nothing less than the answer that only God can give. So lesson number one, don't be too shy to pray. Don't hesitate because of some sort of misguided sense of unworthiness or inadequacy or thoughts that it might be just too good to be true. God just wants you to be bold and say it. A couple years ago, I came across a poem on prayer from the deep south. The only way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say that the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with his eyes fast closed and his head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. I still can't get that one. Last year I I fell in Hitchkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer right then and there, the best prayer I ever said. The prayingest prayer I ever prayed was a-standing on my head. The Apostle Paul wrote that when we are to pray, that we pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and it was Jesus who gave us the gift to turn to heaven and pray, Father, ask, seek, knock. So lesson one, don't be shy, be bold. Lesson two, This is the other side of the coin. Be confident as well. If we were to end our study here at verse 9, you might get the impression that God now is bound himself to give you what you want. Ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it shall be opened. Everybody who asks, seeks and and knocks, they'll receive what they want. 
But the fact is, you and I both know better simply out of our own personal experience, don't we? We know that God, as a Heavenly Father, is more interested in what we need than what we want, and sometimes His answer isn't quite what we anticipated or expected. I think it was Ray Stebbin who was the first I heard who told this truth, and it's one that I've carried to heart for years. God will answer prayer. God does answer prayer. But he has three answers that we must be prepared to hear. Yes, no, and not yet. God does answer prayers. And he has three answers. Yes, no, and not yet. And my experience is that that very few of us have a problem with that first answer. We pray, God answers, yes, and we rejoice. The second two, well, that gives us a little bit of a problem, doesn't it? But the fact is, there are some prayers that are not within his will. And to those he says no. And there are other prayers that are not within his timing. And to those his answer is not yet. And I'll be the first to admit, when I hear those two answers, it hurts. It challenges my patience. It challenges my confidence. It might even somehow challenge my faith making me wonder what type of God am I talking to here? Especially if that not yet lingers into the future. For that then Jesus speaks in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now let me just take a moment to explain a few of the terms here. Here, Jesus is not insulting anybody when he, when he, when he asks, if you, though, if, if you though who are evil know how to give good gifts. <laughs> He's not saying, you guys are evil. Uh, The word evil here is a single word abbreviation for a very familiar Hebrew phrase, and that word is bisa. And the phrase is basar vadam, which means flesh and blood. If you being flesh and blood. Literally, the word here is mortal or human. If you being human. And the fact is, being human... Humans make mistakes, even at the best of times. And the scenario here, using snakes and fish, well, that would have been familiar to these people as they were listening, especially the disciples. You see, there are poisonous snakes in the Sea of Galilee. There are. In fact, I've seen them. And they oftentimes will get caught in the nets with the fish. And I can imagine that any of the fishermen around Jesus would have thought, oh, yeah, I remember one time when I almost let one slip through with the rest of the fish. But then again, 
I'm only human. Or the scorpion and the egg. There, there is a white scorpion in the Middle East that curls itself up when it's threatened, and it does look like an egg when it is all curled. And how many farmer, farmers in that circle around Jesus of disciples would have cringed with the memory of a similar mistake where they had been asked for an egg and they reached in their basket and, and had pulled out this curled-up scorpion and they thought, ooh, but I'm only human, flesh and blood. Not evil by any means, but certainly flawed. And Jesus said, when you pray, call God Father, but know this, you can trust him because he is not a father of flesh and blood. He is a God of heaven. And he will give of the Holy Spirit. Notice that. Will give of the Holy Spirit to those he asks. He may say no. But when he does, he does that with the Holy Spirit and will bring comfort to your heart in the denial of the request. And he may say not yet, but he does so by the Holy Spirit and will strengthen you with the Holy Spirit for the endurance to continue. And so things may not come the way we might like them at first, but in the end, it will prove to be the best. Why? Because it is answered by our Heavenly Father who cares for us, who loves us, who knows you and really does love you. A number of years ago, I came across a very simple poetic testimony by the old southern Texas preacher, W.A. Criswell, where he confirmed this very experience of his life of prayer with the Heavenly Father. He said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things, but was instead given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy, (laughs) but I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men, but I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, but I was given life that I might be able to enjoy all things. I received nothing I asked for, but all that I hoped for. My prayer was answered, and I have been most blessed for having prayed in the name of the Heavenly Father. As I bring this message to a close, I want to end it with words of encouragement to you. There may be some here who are just new to the faith or may wonder sometimes, what place do I have before the throne of God? Uh, On the authority of God's word, through Jesus Christ, you are a child of the Heavenly Father. So take heart, be bold, speak freely. Ask Him directly about the issues of your life and seek Him passionately for the answers to your life. And don't ever, ever, ever worry about knocking on His door. 
He's waiting to hear you. And then I am fully aware, fully aware, that there are some here for whom prayer has, in fact, become a trial. And like David, your prayer has now turned itself into very simple words. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? How long? I do not presume to know the answer to your questions, but I do know this. I do know the heart of your Heavenly Father and that He cares. He really does love you. He really does love you. And all I can say is on the authority of God's word, Jesus Christ, the one who loves you and gave himself for you, has you in his heart. Last week we came to the close of our message by praying a prayer. And it is our heritage. It is our inheritance. And it is our prayer. And I'm going to ask you to close in praying this together with me. You'll find it on the screen. You'll find it in your bulletin. Would you pray the prayer our Lord taught us to pray together with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.